When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the Titans game and a preview of the upcoming game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And Tom McLevy and Justin Lacey are going to stop by for another roundtable. This is Lyle Collins, and listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Huge win on the road against a conference opponent. Baltimore loses to Jacksonville. If you take away the first two games of the season, the Bengals are 7-2. Joe Burrow is the hottest quarterback in the league, and the Cincinnati Bengals are one of the hottest teams in the league. Everything's falling right into place. All right, so let's quickly go over some headlines. I guess the main headlines would be the Chase injury and the Mixon injury. Both guys didn't play against Tennessee, and I think both are in line or scheduled to start against the Chiefs. And I think that's what they wanted to do with Chase. They didn't want to bring him back for Tennessee. You know, we figured we could we could ride it with the receivers that we have. When we get into more of a shootout game, like against the Chiefs, you want to have Jamar Chase in there. So providing that he's healthy enough to play, this would be a great first game to have him back. If he's not... Don't bring him back. Give him more time to rest. This guy is a franchise-wide receiver, and I wouldn't want to risk his future by forcing him into a game too soon. But it's looking like Chase is going to play against KC. Mixon is probably going to be back against KC as well. So this is going to be big for the offense. And if you think about it, going into Tennessee without two of our biggest weapons was a major disadvantage, and we were able to turn that into an advantage and win that game. And Chase looked hungry on the sidelines. You saw how antsy he was. They kept showing him with the hoodie on. He was like, I want to be out there. I want to be performing. Don't worry, Jamar. Your day is coming soon. Can't wait to have you back. And as we know, Trenton Irwin has been brought up to the active roster, which includes a pay raise for him, which is good for him. And he's earning it. He's earning it the last couple games, just making big plays. And that's been the story of his career with the Bengals. He's gotten very limited action. But whenever he's in there, he performs. I've been saying that since day one of his career. And that sentiment has been echoed by Joe Burrow, so you know it's legit. And Kwame Lasseter, the second, got brought up to the active roster, so it was nice to see him get into an NFL game. Just a couple snaps from scrimmage, a little bit on special teams, but at least he got to the big dance, and we'll see what happens with him. I know he's going back to the practice squad, but you know if injuries or anything permits, you could see him up on the active roster and seeking his first NFL catch. And then I want to move on to the coaching staff. Coach Anarumo and Coach Callahan are coaching so brilliantly. Obviously, Coach Taylor, but all the halftime adjustments that we keep talking about, I mean, they're staggering over the last two years how well we performed after halftime and how well we come in prepared for these games and these opponents and just excellent game plans. I've said it before, don't be surprised if they get offered head coaching opportunities. I know Anarumo was rumored last year 
I think Callahan had an interview scheduled the week of the Super Bowl. I hate that stuff. But when you're a good team, you can't hold your coaches forever. Other teams want to copy your success and copy your formula. And both of these coordinators are excelling right now and at the top of their game. So don't be surprised if their days are numbered in Cincinnati to move on to a bigger opportunity to be a head coach. It's unfortunate. We saw it with Zimmer. When we had Gruden and Zimmer as the coordinators, they were amazing. But you knew they were going to get taken from us eventually. And, you know, losing Zimmer was a major blow. Gruden was an excellent offensive coordinator. He struggled a little bit in Washington. But that's exactly what happened. So I don't want to be doomsday. It's too early to say it right now. You know, we still have a bunch of games left this year in the playoffs and everything. So it's, I guess it's premature to be talking about this, but after I saw these halftime adjustments yet again, I was like, man, other teams are going to be going after these guys hard in the offseason. All right, now on to the playoff picture. It's looking good for us. We're the sixth seed. We're playing as well or better than everyone in the AFC, and we're just climbing the ladder. Now we're tied with Baltimore. I know they have the tiebreaker. I know they have the easier schedule, but, you know, you just play who's in front of you, And if we can somehow keep pace with them, I mean, who expected them to lose to Jacksonville? You know, you just never know. You can't just go win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. You know, you have to play these games. And we saw that by them losing to Jacksonville. So a couple of the other soft games on their schedule, they could be losses. And, you know, anything can happen with us. We're playing a lot of tough teams. But iron sharpens iron. If we we take down a bunch of these highly ranked teams in these last six, seven games, it's going to be all the momentum that we need to make a Super Bowl push. And I think it's going to come down to that last week in Baltimore. That's been like the the fun topic to think about since the beginning of the year. But as everything's materializing, that game could be an early playoff game. You know, winner makes it and loser barely makes the playoffs or goes on as a wild card. So if you look at the teams that are in front of us, KC's got a two-game lead, but we play them. So we'll see if we can catch them. Buffalo's got a one-game lead on us, but we play them. So if we beat them head-to-head... Now we have the tiebreaker on them. Now we're climbing up to that third, second seed. Tennessee, we have the same record, but we have the tiebreaker against them. And obviously Baltimore, we're tied with, and they have the tiebreaker against us. Miami, we have the tiebreaker against. The Jets, Miami, Buffalo, they're all pl- and New England, those are all playoff potential teams, and they're all playing each other a bunch of times. So there's going to be some losses that accumulate there just due to the schedule because both teams obviously can't win. So all of that bodes really well. We're in a really good spot. It's a tough schedule, but it will prove that we deserve to be there when all is said and done and we're the last team standing. Not every game is as hard as it looks on paper. You know, Brady's struggling down there. New England doesn't score a lot of points typically. Baltimore is is beatable. Josh Allen has a hurt elbow. You know, the Chiefs, maybe we have their number. If you just you could look at all the games. The Browns, all right, that's a tough game. They have our number, but maybe this is the time that we reverse it. You like to split with your divisional foes. It's a home game. There's so many things that can happen, but we're just going to see where everything stands. And a formula that I recently came up with, and it's not rocket science, but I, I say you take your remaining games and you, you split them in half, and then you add that to your win total. So right now we're a seven-win team with six games to play. So half of six is three. You know, if you technically split, that's 10 wins. That's enough to get you in the playoffs. But again, you don't want to split your last six you want to go above 500 to show that you have some momentum. But just as a as a baseline formula, I think you could take that with any team. Week 12 review. Cincinnati Bengals 20, Tennessee Titans 16. All right, let's start with some observations from the game on Sunday against the Titans. So first off, Joe Burrow is in a groove, and we see it. He's been in a groove basically for the last nine games or so. 
He's been accurate. He's been throwing these touch passes. You know, all the usual stuff I say about Joe Burrow. But what I notice is, and just to summarize it like this, every game that we play, he's the best quarterback on the field. And then I see other teams play, and I see quarterbacks not making plays or not showing escapability or missing open receivers or making bad reads. And I'm just like, wow, this is foreign to me. We don't see this as Bengal fans. We see high, high-level quarterback play, and we're getting used to that. And when you have a quarterback like this, you're always in the running for a playoff appearance and a Super Bowl appearance. Before I get into the game, I just wanted to mention that Charles Davis is really one of my favorite announcers. He's such a great analyst. He's got a great calming presence about his voice. He knows so much about the game. Interesting to listen to. He's not monotone and boring. You know, he's dynamic. He's just really one of my favorites, and I love when he does the Bengal games. And he's always well-researched on the team and just brings a bunch of great insights. So a Charles Davis broadcast is definitely one that I that I prefer over most. All right, so we hold Derrick Henry to 38 yards rushing. Not many teams are able to do that. And that's because of our interior, the defensive tackles, the scheming. Coach Anarumo had basically three defensive tackles in there most of the time. You did what you're supposed to do. They sold out, had a bunch of men in the box, and said, Tannehill, beat us with your arm because we're not going to let Henry beat us. And they lived up to that. A lot of guys made a lot of big plays to hold Derrick Henry back. I almost said Chris Henry. And it worked. And, you know, we're showing maybe we're Chiefs killers and we're certainly Titans killers right now. And we overcame some bad field position, even last week against the Steelers, two drives of 90-plus yards. And this week, there was three times that we were pinned inside the 10. And against a nice, solid team that runs the ball and plays defense well like the Titans, that's a tough hole to climb out of. But you have Joe Burrow, you have T. Higgins, you have the whole cast of characters, and we overcame that bad field position and won the game. And everyone credits the Titans with playing tough football because of Mike Vrabel. I mean, every team plays tough football. There's there's not many finesse teams anymore. Yeah, I mean, what, if you're a team that can throw the ball and you have good pass catchers, you're considered finesse. You know, I, I don't really I don't really subscribe to that. I think that most teams are very physical. And when you come out of the AFC North, you're very physical. So if you want to bring in Mike Vrabel and his aggressive style and, you know, say that the Titans out-physical all the teams they play... Put him against the North because we were totally unfazed and we were just as physical. We have a lot of strong players on defense. We have a lot of tough players on offense. So facing a tough team is absolutely no threat for the Cincinnati Bengals. And speaking of toughness, one of the toughest players on the Bengals is Joe Burrow. He stands 6'4". They have him at like 220-something, but you know I heard that he's about 210 pounds. Once the season goes, you lose some weight. Not a huge guy, takes so many hits. And I have a friend who's a Broncos fan, and he was just like, I want to tell you, Frank, that Joe Burrow is so tough. So people around the league are noticing this. And he has a lot of alert and productive scrambles. He's not afraid to get hit. You have those gun-shy quarterbacks, especially the ones that have been hit so many times in their career, that they're just not the same, and you know they're looking to just get rid of the ball. And Joe Burrow is not like that. He's, he's going to stand in there. If he knows a hit's coming, he's like, you know what, I'm a football player, I'll take the hit. And that gives a lot of respect around the league, the fans, like I, you saw with my Broncos friend, and your teammates especially. And it just seems like every game, Burrow slides, and someone hit, gives him a dirty hit to the head or the neck area, or even the, the midsection where his appendix was. It just happens every game. Maybe I'm hypersensitive to it because he's our guy, and you know you just get mad at anything. But doesn't it seem like it happens almost every game? 
And back to Joe Burrow's scrambling. He is deceptively fast. He has that escapability in the pocket. He ducks out of sacks. He spins out of sacks. He gets to the outside quickly. You see all that. But when he commits and, and starts running downfield, he's a lot faster than people give him credit for. You know, you think, oh, he's more of a pocket passer. That's not really true. Joe Burrow can roll, and a lot of his great throws are on the run. And when he has to scramble, he gets some big-time yards. And then when he gets that first down, he has that ball drop and that first down signal. Love to see it. It's like a mic drop almost. And more on Burrow. There were so few windows to throw into in this game. I'm, I'm looking, and again, if you ever played the quarterback position, when they can get pressure with four guys and there's seven guys out there in coverage, and when you're in the NFL, seven guys all with very good recovery and natural speed, there's such small windows. And you saw that the whole game. I'm, I'm watching Joe drop back, and I'm like, where's he going to throw this? And then he, he threads it, you know, a back shoulder to Higgins or just zips it into Hurst or, you know, then maybe a check down when needed. That's a, a strength of teams like the Titans and the Steelers. When you get pressure with just the front four, you can do a lot defensively and, and make those windows very small. And they didn't even phase Joe Burrow all game long. He's just throwing into really tight windows and putting up big numbers, 270 yards. And, you know, when we needed to move the ball, get first downs and score, he was doing it at will. And this also was one of those games where it seemed like there was a flag on every punt return, which I hate. I don't know, some crews, they just go after the returns and there's never a pure return. You know, you, you see when someone scores a touchdown, what are you doing? You're looking at the bottom right of the screen to see if you see the yellow flag icon come up. And defensively, the Bengals were rallying to the ball. They were tackling well. And it comes from a system. We, we have drafted guys specifically that are good tacklers. You know, your Cam Taylor Brits, or you, you pick up guys in free agency like Mike Hilton and Von Bell that are reliable tacklers. Pratt was drafted as a reliable tackler. Hubbard, you know, Logan Wilson. You can go down the list, especially in the defensive backfield. Eli Apple has some, has some nice tackles. And when you have guys like that in the secondary, that really helps because when they get by those linebackers, a lot of teams are vulnerable, and you see the safeties and corners missing tackles all over the place. You're not seeing that with the Bengals. And further, you're seeing them rally to the ball. So when there's a third and long and there's a check down underneath, I'm 98% sure that we're going to get that guy because you just have three, four very fast, good tacklers swarming the ball carrier at all times. And a couple names come into play in this game, specifically in the run game. It seemed like every time we stopped a run for two yards, it was like B.J. Hill and Pratt were in there. Logan Wilson, too. D.J. Reader. I mean, Hendricks and Hubbard, you could throw everybody in there. But it looked like a game where there was so much of Hill and Pratt. Just Hill beating his linemen and Pratt having the defensive line create opportunities for him to come in and make tackles. So those two guys in particular were just all over the field in the run game and really, really contributed, along with the other players, to stopping Derrick Henry. And then the defensive backs, tackling running backs in the backfield. We saw Hilton make a couple really big plays. We've been seeing that all year. You see Jesse Bates in the backfield. You see Von Bell especially. Von Bell and Mike Hilton are the two number one guys in the secondary that seem like they have no fear and they're always in the opponent's backfield on running plays. And Hilton made a couple solo tackles on Derrick Henry. You have to think about that. Hilton's like 5'9", 180. Henry is 6'3", 250 plus. That's a hard tackle for anybody. Even guys Hen Derrick Henry's size, that's a hard tackle. And Hilton just blasts in there, makes a, a perfect leg tackle on him. Doesn't bounce off, doesn't 
even get hurt. He just mixes it up, gets in there, really, really special plays. And, and those are the things. When you have defensive backs that can tackle like that, now you're going to affect the other team's running game. And Mike Hilton, he had a lot of tackles, and he had a couple big tackles in the backfield, so Derrick Henry couldn't get started. And as a result, I think that the Titans went away from Derrick Henry too soon. I know we were stopping him, but, you know, as the game wears on, maybe he wears on a defense. You can, and that team, they can't throw their way back into a victory. I would have found some more creative ways to run Henry and not given up on the run so soon. But when they gave up on the run, I was like, fine, now, now the game over. You know, thank you. Thank you, coaching staff. Thank you, Vrabel. And the two rookies had some big hits on my least-liked player in the NFL, Ryan Tannehill. Dax Hill, on the blitz, tagged him and forced an incomplete pass. Probably Dax Hill's biggest play as a pro up to this point. I'm hoping that this season yields quite a few more plays, big plays and plays of that nature. And then Cam Taylor Britt had the nice tackle that he, I mean, he just leveled Tannehill and knocked him backwards when Tannehill was scrambling around the left side. So draft pick number one, draft pick number two, Thank you guys for tagging Tannehill for me. Very much appreciated. And yes, two more guys that kept hitting Tannehill were Hubbard and Hendrickson. And I was calling for that all year. Can't wait till Hendrickson gets a piece of Tannehill. And it's nice to see Ryan Tannehill pouting and losing. Tyler Boyd, another game with not a lot of opportunities. But when he was called upon, he had some first down catches. Again, he blocks. He does everything that you don't see in the stat sheet. And he got tagged. And if it was a concussion or a near concussion, he had to go to the tent, comes out for a couple plays, and comes right back in. So in addition to being a great receiver and a great Bengal and a great leader, he's another guy who's really tough. Pirine proved that he's a bell cow. The rushing, the blocking, the receiving. He scored again. He had that huge stiff arm on their best linebacker, David Long, early in the game. That's a tone setter. He had a 32-yard catch-and-run from our own 8-yard line, which which got us out of trouble and you know started putting us in position to score. So he's filling in excellently for Joe Mixon, and with this kind of play, he's going to get more opportunities as the season goes by. And you kind of want to do that. Do I, do I want Mixon to get most of the carries? Without a doubt. Do I want to see Mixon in there on most third downs? Without a doubt. But as a running back, it shortens your career, it shortens your season, it shortens your effectiveness if you have too many carries. So... Maybe P. Ryan takes a few of those carries away from Mixon, and as a result, we get a fresher Mixon. We get a, a Mixon with more longevity, and we get a more productive Joe Mixon. So P. Ryan getting more carries is, does not affect Joe Mixon in a negative way. And I'm kind of going all over the place because I just wrote general observations, not regarding whether they were offense or defense. But D.J. Reader, solid game on the inside. You don't hear his name called a lot because he's occupying two to three guys and opening things up for other players. But in this game, he had two batted balls as well, which you don't see a lot from the defensive tackles. You see more of the longer defensive ends get those batted balls. But Reeder had a couple this game, and I know he likes it for his stat sheet, and it's just fun to just deny a quarterback at the line of scrimmage. T. Higgins' start continues to rise. Just big catches constantly. He's like a basketball player. He's like a basketball-slash-football player. A lot of those balls are just jump balls. Just throw it up and let T. Higgins out high point the guy and out muscle the guy. And you just see it constantly. And the back shoulder catches, it's just a huge catch radius. Because if if he's not open just on the route purely, which he is a very good route runner and does get open, even when it's contested, you can say, you know, I'm going to throw the jump ball. I'm going to throw the back shoulder. So there's really no stopping him. It's like a major league hitter 
who's long enough to get to everything in the strike zone. So it's like, well, where do you pitch this guy? Just like T. Higgins, where do you where do you cover this guy? Even when you have good coverage, he's not covered. And our first drive of the game was excellent. It was a methodical drive. We were getting positive play after positive play after positive play. The only thing that stunted it was a pass interference call on Chris Evans. You know, and then when you get in that first and 20 situation, you're, you're basically digging yourself out of a hole. Your chances of converting on third down become much, much lower. So that's what happened. It was just a great drive. I was like, oh, we're going to punch it in for seven. And then, you know, one holding or offensive pass interference to throw you back 10 yards can really be a drive killer. Drew Crispin had some major punts that really flipped field position. He has a, a fresh leg, and I don't know if you're going to see Kevin Huber back this year if Crispin continues to punt like this. He's been lights out the first two games, and holding hasn't been an issue at all. So, you know, great career by Kevin Huber. Whatever happens, happens, but we may have our puncher of the future here. And Cam Taylor Britt is a player. I mean, he had excellent pass coverage in this game. He's a sure tackler. That's why they drafted him. They wanted a guy who was fast, could cover, and could tackle well. And he's doing all of those things. And he's only played a couple games on the pro level, and it looks like he's getting it. It hasn't been like, oh, they have a rookie that's only played a couple games on that side. We're going to exploit him. And so far, no one has really been able to. And I know he lost a big jump ball to Traylon Burks in the middle of the field, but you know, you're giving up a lot of size and, and some strength to a guy like that, and it's going to happen. But still, he was in position to make the play. So as a DB, you're not going to be you're not going to grade out to 100. You're going to get beat. You're going to have plays that don't go in your favor. In that case, great coverage, just outmuscled and out high pointed, but it hasn't really been a problem for him except on that play. And offensively, the run blocking has been so good the last couple games against tough defenses. So it's a matter I think of the offensive line gelling. I think it's a matter of changing the scheme up just a little bit. And it's if we can keep running the ball that way, there's no one that's going to beat us. I'm not even trying to be a homer on this. It's the truth. If we can control the clock and you know go into second and fours, Joe Burrow is just going to eat up defenses. And we saw it. We saw it against Pittsburgh. We saw it against Tennessee. And if this continues, we're just going to mow through the rest of our schedule. Evan McPherson was perfect. Don't get down on that guy. He's going to miss one every now and then. But when it all comes out at the end, he's going to win games. He's going to be a major, major weapon. Nothing has changed in Evan McPherson except a different snapper and a different holder. And maybe those things messed him up a little bit, but I have full faith in him to make any field goal, any time, any weather, any situation. And Trenton Irwin with more eye-opening plays. He had the one where he was ruled out of bounds on that leaping catch, and I guess I guess he was, but still an amazing catch. And then he gives you this high-level back-shoulder sideline catch at a clutch time on a 3rd and 12. You know, it's like, are we going to march forward and win this game? Or are we going to let them back in the game? What's going to happen here? And he makes a huge play and a very, very difficult contested catch, which showed a lot of skill to go up in a back-shoulder manner, to get your feet in, to hold on to the ball, to take the contact. Just high-level wide receiver play. Trenton Irwin has arrived, and teams are now going to be you know, watching number 16 and not just thinking of, thinking of him as a practice squad or afterthought. Teams are going to be game planning for him. And when you bring back Chase, forget it because they're not going to be able to cover everybody. And Eli Apple with another big game, silently, just keeps performing all year, has had very few bad moments. And in this game, he had a big third down pass breakup early in the game that was like a reception and he pounds it away from the guy. 
So Apple continues to play well, and we need it with Awuzie out. Apple technically is our number one corner right now. Hayden Hurst, a bunch of big first downs, and I just love how fired up he plays. Great hands. We needed that for Joe Burrow. We needed a high-weapon, high-pass-receiving tight end. And Uzama had some opportunities last year, but that's really not his M.O. He's not one of those, you know, Mike Gesicki's or Travis Kelsey, and Hurst is more from that school. And when you add that to the receiver mix in our run game, it's it's deadly, and it's just like a another Christmas present for Joe Burrow, and he's fully, fully taking advantage of it. Travion Williams continues to make the most of his opportunities. He had a nice jumping catch for 24 yards on a 3rd and 12, down 10-3. And don't forget, that was a nice scramble and throw by Joe Burrow as well. And back to the crunch time in games, we scored inside of two minutes. We scored a touchdown in the first half. And then Tennessee misses a field goal at the gun. So right there, that's a 10-point swing right in that time period. And in most games, you can point to those swings as the difference between winning and losing. Then Tennessee comes out of the locker room, first drive, having a little bit of success, and then Hubbard gets a huge sack, drive killer. He's been playing so exceptionally. I say it every episode, but Hubbard and Pratt are having their best seasons as Bengals, and and B.J. Hill too. Regardless of if the sack numbers are where they were last year, he is just a force out there. Logan Wilson had a great year last year, playing just as well this year. So a lot of these guys are just excelling, and really this is Hubbard's best year as a Bengal. And Jonah had another good game. It's Sometimes it's matchups. Like, Bud Dupree is a little bit smaller than your Miles Garretts and your TJ Watts. And I think Jonah has a little bit of an easier time against that. If you want to be more like a speed guy without that massive power, I think that Jonah fares better against those players. And he had a great game against Dupree. I know once early in the game, Jonah just got upended, and I was like, oh, man, we're going to be in trouble this game. And he just held up the rest of the game. I think he had a good game last week. He is one of the Bengals that I'm most critical of, even though I like him. I think he's eloquent when he speaks. Obviously, you know I'm pulling for him, but I I do get on him because I get frustrated with him, but he's played excellently the last two weeks. And Jonah, please let that continue, because if you can hold up and protect Joe Burrow's blindside, sky is the limit. And Cordell Volson had a good game too. No mental errors and was really dominant in the running game. Him, He's got good speed when he pulls. He's as big as a house out there. And he had a lot of big pushes in the running game. And I I think the light going on more for him is also helping the running game in general. Just keep it up, Cordell. You keep playing like that. Again, I keep saying that about these guys. But if he keeps playing like that and we keep running like that, we talked about it before, lights out for the AFC. And game plan-wise, we started the game with a lot to Hurst and Pirine. So it was like, you know, get rid of the ball quick, dump it quick. And then, as we saw, the protections holding up. That's what you do. You know, you can't just, in most instances, you can't just have Joe Burrow take five, seven-step drops and survey the field right in the beginning because you don't know how the dynamic is going to play with the defense. How are your guys holding up to their guys mano y mano? And that's a smart way to approach it. You know, dump it to Pirine, quick pass to Hurst, a couple quick slants to your receivers. And then once we saw that the line was holding up, you saw it. We started going downfield to Higgins. And that was the case last week, too. It was like first couple drives, you're like, oh, the receivers haven't done much. It's just a matter of like litmus testing and feeling out the flow of the game and, you know, whose line is more dominant. And when you realize that yours is doing the job, you start opening up things for Joe Burrow. That's what happened here. Excellent strategizing by Coach Callahan, Coach Pitcher, and Coach Taylor. And Joe Burrow changing up the arm angle a a few times in this game. You know, normally he's a traditional passer with, with perfect technique, you know, overhead thrower. 
there was a couple cases in this game where he dropped to that three quarters and that half sidearm and delivered the ball accurately. So nice to see Joe Burrow pull more weapons out of his hat that we didn't expect. Throw of the game for me was the first pass of the fourth quarter. And I love these passes. We talk about them a lot where you get it over that first level and you drop it in front of the second level. And that's what happened. Start of the fourth quarter, the ball travels 31 yards in the air, plus towards the sideline. I mean, it's, it's going like 40 yards in the air, basically. He gets it over the corner and in front of Bayard, a pro bowl, all pro level safety. An amazing throw. I think it was at like the 14:53 mark of the fourth quarter. So if you have the game recorded, you want to go back, you probably remember it. But just check out that throw. That is high, high level and so hard to have that touch because it's not just touch if you float it it's not going to work you have to have some zip on it and you have to have the right trajectory on the ball and you have to have the right touch and you have to put it in the right spot where the guy's not going to get popped in the back and drop it and it he just does all of those things I'm going to highlight that play on social media this week so you can see me kind of do a play call and break that down if you tune into Instagram or Twitter but yes that was the throw of the game And the last observation for now, we get the ball with 6.07 left, and they never get it back again. We just have this long, methodical drive downfield. We chew up time. We kick the field goal, which is going to give them about two minutes left. So we didn't totally eat the clock, but then they have that boneheaded penalty where they hit the long snapper, and we were able to ice the game. So last six minutes, Tennessee never saw the ball, and that's the way to close out a game, Mariano Rivera style. All right, so let's move on to some key plays from the game. So the first one was a negative one for us, and it was the Derrick Henry touchdown off of the screen pass. So what happens? They're in a heavy formation with three tight ends, so they have a lot of guys in there to block. We're thinking it's going to be a run. It was perfectly timed by the Titans' offense. They just waited until the last second. It looked like we were going to get Tannehill, and Henry just sneaks right out there. They get him in space with two blockers in front, and it was two offensive linemen, and one of them took out Logan Wilson, And one of them took out Jermaine Pratt. DJ Reader, hustling, tries to make a diving tackle on Henry, but Henry's a little too fast for that. And then you see that Derrick Henry, here's the speed that you forget that he has. He just accelerates and no one could get him. Jesse Bates gets chipped downfield, so he was unable to make the tackle. But the 4-3 guy, Cam Taylor Britt, hustles over and tomahawks the ball out. Just amazing, the hustle and the ability to knock the ball out of such a strong man's grasp. Just a dynamite play, and that's the way the ball bounces. You know, It just happened to fall right to Traylon Burks, who I give him credit. He was hustling and trailing the play, so he gets the benefit of a touchdown there. And I, I wish they would do the same thing that they do on punts, that you can't advance a fumble like that. So you know, if Henry fumbles it at the three like that and they get it in the end zone, I think it should come back out to the three, but I'm not on the rules committee. I'm just speaking my mind. All right, the second big play was the Pirine touchdown. So we had three tight ends, and Adenogy was one of them. We have Morgan split out to the right. And as I always say, again, we're not letting the opponents hear this, but when Stanley Morgan is in there, it is a running play. And, of course, with Adenogy in there and Wilcox, you have a, a heavy formation there. So what happened was, snap of the ball, Adenogy is on Bayard and just blows him off the line. Wilcox makes a great block. Collins destroys his guys. Volson pulls and, and handcakes a guy, just perfectly blocked up front, and P. Ryan just waltzes in. I mean, with power, with vision, but the blocking there, I mean, I feel like the casual fan could have almost waltzed in on that one because it was just so well blocked. 
And then the last big play was the Higgins go-ahead touchdown. So we have three wide receivers. We do a little quick play action, almost like symbolic, not like this true we're trying to fake you out. It was just like Joe just kind of laid the ball out for a second and pulled it back. Like you knew it was a pass all the way. And that's what you do with Higgins. You can do those back shoulders. You can send him on the nine route and have him just go and never stop and hit him up, up top. But he's also a guy that's effective if he does do a stick route, come back to the ball and beat you in jump ball or out-muscle you or outbody you, and that's exactly what he did here. So it's a go route down the right sideline, but he stops near the goal line, and Joe just throws him a perfect jump ball, and they challenge the smaller corner to get up there with the basketball-like T. Higgins. He wins over McCreary, and the refs, I give credit, they let them play. They didn't call push-offs on anyone because there was a lot of contact there. And touchdown Bengals, victory Bengals. All right, on to the sacks, and there was only one this game, so this isn't going to be a long segment, and I love it. So the one sack they did have was on a blitz, and P. Ryan got pushed back into Burrow, and Demarcus Walker beats Kappa and Karras, our two best offensive linemen. So a great individual effort by him. I'm not going to pin blame. I mean, the two offensive linemen, yeah, they let it up. P. Ryan lost leverage there, too, so you can you can spread the blame around, but really, that was Walker's play, an amazing play against two very, very high-quality offensive linemen. And then I always like to go over the first drive of the second half to just show what we were thinking at halftime. And if this is pretty telling. So we come out of the locker room, and here's the plays. Not many because we ended up hunting. But first play, three wide receivers, Piran to the left for five. Second play, three wide receivers, Piran to the left for four. Now it's a third and one, three wide receivers again. Basically the same formation, a little bit of disguise, but basically three wide receivers and Piran and... He goes right. We get a holding call on Lael Collins. I don't mind. He hasn't had too many penalties this year. It happens. You're playing physical out there against a very good defensive line. So that puts us back at like a third and 11. Then we go four wide receivers, and Burrow has Boyd open for a, an out route for a first down, but Boyd slips coming out of his break. Field was a little slippery, so that was an incomplete pass. So what we did, we came out with three strong run plays. So that's what we saw during halftime. We knew the pass game was going to work, but on that first drive, we were like, let's reestablish the run, and then we'll set up Joe Burrow up top, and that's what they tried to do there. wasn't successful on that drive, but it was successful for the most of the game. And then the halftime adjustments that I did notice is we were kicking off inbounds, and I think more teams are going to start doing that because, you know, you just kick it through the end zone and they get it on the 25, and in some situations, that's fine. But when you want to fight for field position, a lot of times you want to keep that guy in bounds and get him before he gets to the 25. And I'm seeing that more and more. I'm seeing less guys make it out to the 25 when returning kicks. And that was a strategy you saw very clearly. First half, it was just McPherson booted out of the end zone. And second half, it was like, no, you know what? Kick it high, let him return it. And it worked in our favor. Defensively, we were doing some more run blitzing in the second half as well. And obviously you saw what it did to Derrick Henry, 38 yards on the day. And again, back to Coach Anarumo, we only let up six points after halftime in this game. Great halftime adjustments and a great win for the Cincinnati Bengals. Welcome to another edition of The Roundtable featuring Tom McLevy and Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Tom McLevy and Justin Lacey for another edition of the Roundtable. We're going to be celebrating this great Bengals victory. But first, there is some bittersweet news for Cincinnati fans. Tom, you want to lead with this? 
Well, uh, like you say, I was watching a Bengal game yesterday. I woke up and went right to the Bengal game. And I had no idea until I was, uh, you know, after the game, I'm listening to uh, Wayne Boxmiller on the uh, locker room reports on 700WLW. And uh, he, you know, informs that. And if you haven't heard, Luke Fickle has left the University of Cincinnati. And it was like a, a, a dagger going in the heart because it, I had no it was like either Ohio State or nothing with him. And, you know, you see going into the Big 12 and everything, it just put a a, a damper on the, the win yesterday for the Bengals. Yeah, it was definitely a tough weekend uh, hearing that news about Luke Fickle. He has turned the fortunes of the University of Cincinnati Bearcats football program around tremendously. A lot of early part of the previous decade of the Bearcat fans remember the the tough, angry portions of Brian Kelly after he left so abruptly after leaving his Bearcats into an undefeated 12-0 season only to end up losing against Florida Gators in that Sugar Bowl. It was anger at that point. But this time around, my thoughts are just you know what? I salute Luke Fickle for coming in, turning around a program that was not even watchable on college football half the time, and then taking him to the college football playoffs, something that, that no coach in Cincinnati Bearcats football history has ever done. And he, he changed the fortunes of the University of Cincinnati football program with that appearance in a college football playoff, dressing up how we want it. Yes, I understand it hurts and it sucks, but you know what? I also believe, like what Tom was alluding to a little bit earlier, that everybody thought he was going to go take the head football coaching job at Ohio State once Ryan Day, but if he got the boot or decided to step down, resign, whatever that was going to be. But I'm actually glad he opted to go the route that he chose because he doesn't need Ohio State football to bring his name to credibility. That was a place that he was looked at, looking at as his old stomping grounds. He could have made some some heyday once he came back aboard there. But the fact that he chose Wisconsin, a different program that can use a little bit of reviving and name recognition and name branding, speaks volume to Luke Fickle that he doesn't have to take the easy way out. So salute to Luke Fickle. Job well done in Cincinnati. Don't worry. We're going to take it from here. Totally agreed. It's, you know, Cincinnati's no longer the so-called stepping stone job. You know, with Oklahoma and Notre Dame last year with Kelly and Lincoln Riley, jumping those two schools to go where those two coaches ended up. It's more the go for the power jobs. Like Justin said, he took over a program after Tommy Tuberville literally ruined Cincinnati and just took a paycheck from the University of Cincinnati to where Luke Fickle took over and ended up in the college football uh, playoffs. Phenomenal job. Best of luck to him, but uh, now I want to hear prime time, prime time. Bring Deion Sanders in. With the, the recruiting he can do, he will take the program to the next step going into the Big 12. All right, interesting thoughts. If that happens, that's going to definitely be good for the city. All right, so let's move on to really what we're here for. What are you guys thinking about this huge win over the Titans? Justin? It was a gritty, hard-fought physical game. 
I expected it to be a dogfight. And much like the playoff game that we beat a man in division around last year, I was just hoping that Burrow wasn't going to get sacked nine times again. And actually, I made a, an aggressive statement to most Titans fans when I was engaging with them on Twitter that Burrow getting sacked nine times is probably never going to happen again. Just like we can't always anticipate Ryan Tannehill to throw three interceptions like he did in that playoff game again. This just needs to be one good, tough, gritty, AFC North-like battle, and we're going in their house. We got to show them that, hey, we can hang with you guys, and we can punch you in the mouth. You're probably going to get your licks in, and they did. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the better team won. The better team made the most plays. And I was very, very impressed with Joe Burrow being able to do this without any of the targets that his main targets, Jamar Chase, no Joe Mixon. You know, Tyler Boyd even disappeared a little bit with an injury, but he came back in the game. Uh, Trent Irwin once again stepped up in a crucial clutch moment. I was very happy to see that. And the, how about the job of T. Higgins just showing these naysayers that didn't have him penciled in as a wide receiver one. He just showed them that he can be a wide receiver one on majority of the NFL teams across the league. And he just continues to make plays when Burrow sees him one-on-one. Can't say enough job about the defense and what they did. Stopping Derrick Henry to only 30, 38 yards. I think he only averaged 2.2 yards per carry. And if it wasn't for that, that that screen pass, which he even fumbled on that one, thanks to Cam Taylor Britton, that defensive performance, Derrick Henry really did nothing on the day. So hats off to the Bengals. The better team won once again. They showed them that they can hang with the AFC's elites and that they are still the AFC's elites. 100% on that, Justin. And when you think about it, going into this game on paper, you're going into Tennessee, who's on top of their division, you know, whatever. They were 7-3 and three going into this. You're playing on the road, and you're playing without Mixon and Chase. That's, that's a severe disadvantage. And on paper, it didn't look like a winnable game, although us Bengal fans knew we were going to win this one. Tom, what are your thoughts on what, what you saw yesterday? Phenomenal job. They're showing not just the AFC, the NFL, that the Bengals are here. And what they did, the game plan was take Henry out of the game and put the ball in Tannen Hill's hands. It wasn't like they blitzed to stop uh, Henry. They just did the basically forefront guys. DJ Reader is, if he doesn't become an all-pro this year, you know, it's typical. Then he's got that Cincinnati mantra on him that, you know, that we ignore all Cincinnati uh, players. I agree with but, you on that, Tom. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I've been thinking that all along. I, I was thinking before Wouzier got hurt, and of course the way that Reader's playing, even though he missed a few games, that both of those guys should be in consideration. I mean, Pro Bowl minimum, all pro in the conversation. And I do feel that way. You know, being in a small market, I mean, we're a winning team, but still the small market and the Cincinnati stigma, and those guys probably won't get those accolades, unfortunately. And it's true. You can go down a bunch of guys, Logan Wilson, which we talked about in the past, uh, podcast that he should be recognized as a top linebacker but because he plays for Cincinnati but otherwise this is a cohesive unit and Lou Amarulo is dialing up things to stop 
without sacrificing the whole unit. And, and like I said, they put the ball in Tannehill's hands, and that's their weak link check mark. Tennessee should not be rated as a top contender in the AFC. And like you say, Joe Burrow is by far, it, it should be Mahomes the way he's playing because he has to throw the ball all the time. He's getting the recognition. But Joe Burrow's our quarterback. I'll take him any day. And, you know, Hayden Hurst, uh, just another guy that steps up. Trenton Irwin steps up. T. Higgins, like you say, he's uh, they and they mentioned it during the game, Ryan Eagle and uh, Charles Davis, that the only team in, that they could think of was the Colts with Harrison and Wayne with these two guys, T. Higgins and uh, Jamar Chase. As long as uh, we're healthy, the offensive line is gelled going forward. Uh, I, I honestly, I know it's going to be a close game, but I feel confident going into this weekend. Well, let me also say this as well, too, about Tennessee. Because um, I know, Tom, you mentioned that, that they're not looking as like one of the, the AFC's elite or contenders. I would have to kind of disagree and push back a little bit on that. They are one heck of a formidable opponent for anybody in the AFC. Uh, they even took the Chiefs to overtime, and that was with the backup quarterback in Malik Willis. Their defense is strong. Their defense is stout. I loved everything about their team defensively-wise. I also really enjoy watching Derrick Henry run the ball over his opponents. But I just think that the missing formula that they had was very similarly to along the playoff lines is that they probably overlooked the Bengals once again. Most Titans fans will probably just was out gouging for revenge after the playoff loss. But how I kind of phrased it on Twitter, honestly, was that Titans fans wanted to talk all of this about revenge but they should never have overlooked us anyways. Our first playoff win against the Raiders in last year's postseason run was not a luck of a draw. It wasn't, oh, we just got a one win out the way. Okay, let's go and lose the next round. We're playing with house money. It is what it is. No, that was the media storyline. Any true Bengals fan like yourself, like Frank, like yourself as well too, and many other Bengals fans across the nation that has adopted the Bengals even, they know the belief that is instilled within this Bengals locker room and that, it can beat anybody, and we were never scared of Tennessee, no matter how much defensively that they got better, no matter how great Derrick Henry was. I just think that what happened again was that they tend to miss the mark on how great this Bengals team actually performed because of our early season struggles. I was talking to a lot of a lot of guys on Twitter once again, or even just in person, and one thing that Titan fans would keep on saying, oh, you kept giving up the most sacks on Burrow. He's like the second or third most sack in the NFL. Yeah, back when it was early when the offensive line still had to get themselves together, and we didn't even heap enough praise with them because they only allowed one sack, and that was barely even a sack. I, I think that Tennessee is a very formidable opponent. If they go up against the Kansas City Chiefs again with this roster, man, they might even give them a run for money again, or even Buffalo for that matter. I also feel like that the Bengals are just kind of like a, a shoreline head above it now to the point where it's like, they can, be, they can just beat just about anybody. No matter who's the best of the best right now, the Bengals can knock them off. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants to play us right now. It's just like last year. It really is a mirror image of getting hot at the right time 
getting people back at the right time, like Reader. Obviously, Chase is going to be back. So I, I think momentum is in our favor. If we can just carry this through, we'll have similar results to last year. I wanted to ask you guys, because this is a much maligned Bengal, and I don't know why, because he is low-key one of my favorite guys. I think he's always contributing in so many different ways to the team. I want to ask you guys about Samaj P. Ryan. Tom, what are your thoughts on what you saw out of him this game and so far in his career? I uh, We were killing him last year, killing him in beginning. I mean, I personally was. But uh, he showed me true grit last weekend. And, and of course, uh, yesterday, uh, he stepped up big time. And, I mean, now they're – I mean, I didn't read the articles, but they're saying that he should be starting over Joe Mixon. You know, I don't know about that, but I can see what Zach Taylor saw last year when we were saying, why is Pete Ryan in there at the fourth quarter when, when Mixon should be – that's why I said I won't question the coaching staff anymore. I'm just so happy. He runs hard, hits the hole quick uh, with this offensive line. I'm, I'm, in, I'm really, really enjoying his presence on this team. Justin, what are your thoughts on P. Ryan? Yeah, I think that the reason why P. Ryan gets a lot of a lot of slack based off of last year was just the Super Bowl, the fourth and one. Uh, even though Aaron Donald, you know, just knifed right through that weak offensive line, I believe it was Kim Adenergy or Quinn Spain, and then almost got Burrow for the sack that led to the incomplete pass. Piron was right there. He could have dove for it. The ball was actually thrown pretty decently okay, even with Burrow spinning in around about to go to the crowd. And Piron didn't even bother to make the attempt to die for the catch, you know, to keep the draft going. But he can't really force that upon a backup running back in that situation. Also, I think that we're just a little bit spoiled across the league, seeing a lot of these these thunder and lightning type of running back duos of the world, like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You know, we're seeing duos like that surface all across the NFL, and we're thinking to ourselves, man, it would be really nice to have an even formidable change of pace running back, running game that's not just mixing and then everybody else in the backfield. Um, and I think that Samaj P. Ryan gets a lot of flack for that. You know, obviously there are a lot of talented backup running backs that you can insert into the lineup and just get a similar production like a P. Ryan. But here's the thing that you got to understand, man. It's, it's the trust factor. When it comes to, you know, helping Burrow set the protections and blocking the blitzers. Because he saved a lot of guys from hitting Joe Burrow when Burrow was standing in the pocket and trying to unleash these throws down the field, whether they were incomplete or they were completed. Samaje P. Ryan came in at the right at the exact moment to help with the pass protection, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that at all. I'm actually a really big fan of his. And if we look into last year, do you guys remember the AFC Championship game? What, what was the what was the play that got us back into that game? It was the screen pass to Samaje P. Ryan that he just burrowed his way into the end zone for a touchdown that cut the deficit from 21-3 to 21-10, and then we already know how the rest of that story played out. He did it against Pittsburgh last week. We saw it. You know, three touchdown receptions. The guy was just a force to be reckoned with. He, the stiff arm that he made on the def, one of the defenders for the Titans, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. It, it was just, it was a guy that just understands that, hey, I'm here because I want to help my team win the game. I want to do my job as best of my ability. And no, I do not think that he should be starting over Joe Mixon. Not at all. 
Joe Mixon is still your feature back. I think that people do not need to be blinded by the newness of the most recent production. I, I believe that this is also centered upon the Burrow magic that we have with this team because that's just like saying, I want to replace Tyler Boyd with Trenton Irwin for the foreseeable future down the stretch. No, I don't. I still need Tyler Boyd just because he hasn't been producing as the what we know he can with these last couple games. The beauty of it is that you don't need him to. So with that being said, Samaj P. Ryan, I think people just need a layoff of him. Stop with the whole Michigan when it comes to the whole running back carousel. Joe Mixon's still the man. Don't forget, he performed in marble at a historic level against the Carolina Panthers by getting five TDs on the board single-handedly by himself. So Mixon's still the guy. They do say because of his blocking, P. Rhines, Joe Burrow looks a lot more comfortable knowing that P. Rhines back there. So that might be one of the reasons why you see him more in the fourth quarter compared to Joe Mixon because of the pass blocking. Interesting point there. I mean, that does make sense. You know, Justin, I wanted to also comment on what you said about the shiny new thing, and, and I like the reference that you made with Boyd and Irwin. You know, like when you have a, a guy who isn't in the lineup and all of a sudden starts producing, you start wanting to think about him replacing someone. But you're absolutely right. There's no way that Irwin would ever replace Boyd. And I still think Boyd is having a low-key great season. I know his numbers aren't up, but he does a lot of other things. He makes a lot of big third-down catches for first downs. He's blocking. He's occupying two defenders. You know, he, his head is in the game, and he's an asset to this offense. But, yes, just going back to that, I do like the shiny new thing because, yes, P. Ryan had two great weeks, and now all of a sudden it's let's let's replace Mixon. But, Tom, you also make a good point about maybe P. Ryan is a more reliable blocker than Mixon. But either way, going back to the Super Bowl last year, I would have had Mixon in there for that last drive, regardless of all this. But I still am very happy that P. Ryan's on the roster. But let's move on to the Kansas City game. So this is a huge game. They have an axe to grind with us because of what happened last year. We're playing in Cincinnati, which is fortunate for us. Prime time, which in the Andy Dalton days used to be a nightmare, but in the Joe Burrow days, we're licking our chops for that because those guys can't wait to be on center stage. So, Justin, what are your thoughts on this huge matchup coming up? We're ready for it. It's, it's ultimately, at the end of the day, we're ready for it. We needed these tests these last couple weeks. Uh, everything that we have gone through building up to this moment is that this is now the crossroads to where we just need to show the rest of the world and the NFL world that, hey, the Bengals are still the AFC defending champions. People tend to forget about that in the national media world. I understand what happened last year was what happened last year for the Chiefs. If I'm the Chiefs, a little bit of advice for you, don't hearken your soul on that trying to get revenge on the Bengals for the AFC Championship loss and also the Week 17 loss against the Bengals in Cincinnati in the regular season. The reason why I say that is because Tennessee had to learn the hard way is that if you come out trying to seek revenge, you're going to lose regardless. You have four straight AFC Championship appearances in your backyard, might I add, and you've had two Super Bowl appearances. You won one of them, lost one of them. You've had a great amount of success. Yeah, you, you had to swallow the bullet and not see the championship banner come down your parade for the first time in like four seasons. You're still a great team, Kansas City. I think the world of you. You've won a lot of games so far. I don't think that they've lost a game since they got beat by the Buffalo Bills 
and they had a chance to even win that game if Mahomes didn't throw an interception in the end zone to seal the deal for the Buffalo Bills in that one. But nonetheless, we're not talking about the Buffalo Bills and the Chiefs. We're talking about the Bengals and the Chiefs. This is a game where I personally feel like that the Bengals can use this game as a point where they're going to just take off again. Similar to last year and Week 17, that you build all the way up to that moment. It's similar to this one, but we have a few more games to go with this one. This is not going to be for a division crown. This is simply a statement performance this time. Last year was a signature win and, and during that Week 17 till. This one here is you got to send another statement. They're going to come. They're going to come swinging at you hard. They're going to do, do, try to throw a lot of points. You've already proven that you can go toe-to-toe with this team. But if you get down early and you decide to make another comfort-behind victory, you can keep up with this Chiefs team. Might I add, I'm very impressed with what they're doing, with doing all this after they've lost Tyree Kill in the offseason, by the way. But this team offensively is still different than the ones that you've seen in the championship game and also in the regular season last year and in years past. This is not that Chiefs team that is just going to just explode with 40 to 50 points at any given moment. But Patrick Mahomes is still a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Andy Reid is still a future Hall of Fame level head coach. And this this is still the Kansas City Chiefs playing meaningful football coming into December. And you can continue this magic carpet ride and go on your own run for yourself. Burrow should be in the MVP conversation, but I do think that Mahomes ultimately will end up winning it. But nonetheless, Burrow is still in that conversation if you ask me. You're getting Jamar Chase back. You're getting Joe Mixon back. You don't have to get super fancy and pretty to go swing it down a yard. But what I also think what might end up happening is that I think the Bengals might score early and score often uh, early on and then show the Chiefs that now let's reverse the whistle here. Let's see if you can keep up with us. Yeah, and that's been the theme for Cincinnati lately is getting the ball first and scoring quickly and, you know, just having the other team chase you, you know. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts on the Kansas City game? I'm just going to put it that we we said it last podcast, second half of the season, the strength of the schedule, they have to play us. We're going to get their best shot, and I just feel confident in this game going against Kansas City. Thanks. And also, this is another reminder that I want to add for us as Bengals fans. We're The Chiefs are not the measuring strict for us, even though – the media wants to put them above as the AFC top tier, the creme de la creme. I get all of that. But that's not the mountain that we have to climb to get over the hump. They have to do that against us. Number two, we still have on our schedule, a more when we break it down a little bit further, we have other teams that we have to, to fight against too. The game after the Chiefs, we have, to, we have to finally officially settle that score with the Cleveland Browns at home to show that, hey, that's the team that we need to beat. Because they're in our division, they have won five straight, and they shouldn't have beat us in their house on Monday night, but they did due to a bad game plan. And then you got two more road games at New England, where it might be brutally cold out there. Then you're going down to play play the GOAT in Tampa Bay. And then after that, it sets up a showdown with the Buffalo Bills on another Monday night tilt. And then what could be the possible division winner with a game against Baltimore. So the Chiefs, while... People want to look at them as the measuring stick. They're not that measuring stick for us because we already shown that we can beat them at their best, whether it's in our house or whether it's in their house. But we do have home field advantage now. Like you said, Tom, they're going to come with their best shot, and I want nothing more than them to come with their best shot because we're coming here with ours. And honestly, we just got to just stick to 
the scripts. Just play your game, trust and believe in yourself, and you're going to go out there and you're going to just make some noise. You just continue making noise and let the media adjust to you. You don't adjust to the media. The thing I always got frustrated with about Bengals teams in years past and previous regimes and eras was that they've always adjusted to what the media's perception of them were, and it affected literally everything. They were never going to adjust their thought process about you. They just wanted you to be out of the way. No, you make the media adjust to you now. And that's where this game can really staple the minds of the, this goes moving forward. You got to play, come play us. We dictate the shots and the storylines here. Week 13 preview. Cincinnati Bengals versus Kansas City Chiefs. All right, on to the 9-2 and two Chiefs, who I guess are considered the class of the AFC right now because they're on top, and they have a very, very good roster, as we're going to see in a minute. I think the Bengals are the best team in the AFC, but, you know, you have to honor the record right now, and right now that is the Chiefs, unfortunately. Very well coached. Andy Reid is an amazing head coach, an amazing play caller. Eric Bieniemy, former Bengal, has been a, a high contributor to that offensive success over the years. And Steve Spagnola running that 4-3 defense, another reputable coach, and he's doing a great job with that defense this year. So let's quickly look at the Chiefs' rankings. Offense, they're 20th in rushing, and they're first in passing. So you know what you're going to get there. That's, that's not hard to predict what you need to do in this game, and that's stop Patrick Mahomes. We'll get on to strategy in just a second. Defense, they have the 5th best rushing defense and the 21st best pass defense, so kind of the opposite of that they're great at passing not so great at stopping the pass they're great at stopping the run not that great at rushing pretty strange to see a team with a nine and two record have that kind of imbalance between their rankings but don't let it fool you they're a good team I think they have a lot of good players in the secondary that can contribute to stopping the pass and rushing they have some good running backs that you can't sleep on as well some good speed backs And, you know, a lot of times you just go off of yardage. And a lot of times yardage is inflated by junk time at the end of games. Or if someone has a really huge game, it can throw off those numbers. But it's nice to get a general roadmap when you can look at the team's rankings. But there's so much more to it than that. Just like the Titans, they weren't a top 10 rushing team. But with Derrick Henry, you feel like they're a top 10 rushing team. You know, same thing. We can't read too much into these rankings. But special teams... Titans come into last week as the number one ranked unit. And now this week, we're playing another number one ranked unit. So the Chiefs must have surpassed the Titans. But the Chiefs have the number one special teams unit in the league as well. So when you have that high-powered offense, one of the best quarterbacks in the game, a lot of great players on defense, and you bring in really solid top-of-the-league special teams, very tough game ahead of us here. So when we're on defense, what are we looking at here? So you have Mahomes who I feel is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I have him and Burrow and Allen right now as the top guys, now that you see Brady and Rodgers fall out of there. But Mahomes is the number one rated quarterback on PFF, so they're backing that claim. But he's deadly. I mean, he moves well. He can make any throw on the field. Another guy changing arm angles all the time. He reads defenses great. He has a cannon for an arm an amazing quarterback that I enjoy watching. I like him as a player. You know, I don't like too many non-Bengals, but he's one of the ones that I do like. And of course, I'm not rooting for him this week, but he is a major weapon to be reckoned with. And if he's on, it's going to be a tough day for the Bengals. 
Running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just can't get healthy. He's on IR again, so they, they go to Jarek McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco. So that's going to be their one-two punch at running back this game. McKinnon's very fast. Pacheco is a rookie who's really hungry and has been contributing, runs really hard. So that's what you're facing there. Again, you don't have a, a massive bell cow there like a Mixon or a Derrick Henry or you know insert one of your top backs here. They don't really have that, so that's probably why their rushing numbers aren't top 10 in the league at this point. But still, guys that you have to be aware of and guys that can get out in space and Mahomes can check down when they're in space and create problems. So I fear these running backs more coming out of the backfield receiving than I do them putting up big rush numbers, especially against our front four and our defensive tackles. Then you move on to the best receiver on this team, Travis Kelsey. He's deadly. It's like he's like a receiver, but he's like a big receiver. He's got the strength, the route running, speed, deceptively fast, great hands, great separation, a real good head for the game, Hall of Famer in the future as soon as he decides to retire. So we're going to have to really worry about that Mahomes to Kelsey matchup. That's the most dangerous matchup when we're facing the Chiefs. Then wide receivers, a little bit different looking of a group without Tyreek Hill in there, but these are all guys that aren't Jamar Chase level, but they're a bunch of guys that can contribute and hurt you, and there's so many of them. So, you know, you might stop the number one and the number two, but then they have a three and a four and a five that can all kill you if you're not paying attention. So you have Valdez Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, another one of my favorites, Mikko Hardman, a speedster, Kadarius Toney, struggled with the Giants in a bad scheme and a mediocre quarterback, and he's starting to shine out here. So if he's healthy, he's another weapon. And they're starting to get used to him in the system and starting to get him the ball more. So watch out for Kadarius Tony. They have Sky Moore as you know number five, number six. So there's a lot of guys. Justin Watson, it's just a lot of guys to have to worry about. Again, no Chase and Higgins, but you know a bunch of really good second-tier guys. And when you have Mahomes playing quarterback, they can all show up like first-tier guys if they're getting their opportunities. Offensive line, Orlando Brown, excellent. Nick Algretti at left guard, not so excellent. So this could be a nice game for B.J. Hill. Creed Humphrey, they get so lucky in the draft. They got they draft him, and he's the number one center in the league right now. You know, and we're watching some first-round picks or high offensive, draft, offensive line draft picks struggle, and the Chiefs just hit on him. And then they have Trey Smith at right guard, who's playing excellently, and Andrew Wiley at right tackle, who's not playing that great this year. So they have three very good linemen. They have five good linemen. There's no real deficiencies, but I think that B.J. Hill and Hubbard, if everyone lines up in their normal positions, will have more opportunities than the other guys. But I think Hendrickson on Orlando Brown is is also a good matchup for us as well. And you know what? D.J. Reader on anybody too. So you put, I mean, Humphrey and Trey Smith are going to be blocking Reader, so he's going to have his work cut out for him. So what do you do? I'll tell you, you keep a lot of defensive backs active. You're going to have to see Dax Hill in coverage. You're going to have to see Jalen Davis in coverage. You're going to have to protect Hilton and not leave him out with Kelsey there. Hopefully Flowers is is healthy, healthier than he has been, and he can do that same job on Kelsey that he did last year. But you can't hold down Kelsey all the time. You know, Flowers had a good game against him in the playoffs, but when you have a Hall of Fame talent like that, it's you're not going to shut him down every time you face him. So we need to see a little bit of that. I don't want to see too much of Logan Wilson or Akeem Davis-Gaither on him, even though Wilson's great in coverage and Gaither's got the speed. I just think this is a game where you have to let your safeties cover him. You know, your Von Bells, your Trey Flowers hybrid, and, you know, Dax Hill, guys like that. I think that's the formula for stopping Kelsey. But I don't know if you're going to stop him. You're just going to slow him down. And you got to watch Mahomes running out of the pocket, too. 
one of those guys. He can make every throw. You're so afraid of the throws he's going to make. And then he scrambles for 18 yards. I've seen it. So just a, a multi-threat weapon quarterback. We, we have to be on our best defensively in this game. And running back-wise, I, I say, you know, you go with a lighter box so you can defend against Mahomes. And you let those guys try to beat you in the trenches running the ball. I don't know, I don't know if those running backs are going to be contributing like that. I think they're going to be doing more in space. All right, so when we're on offense, coming into the game, I'm like, you know, the Chiefs don't have a great defense. We're just going to go punch for punch with them and hopefully at the end have more points than they do. But when I really started looking at the lineup, they have a lot of really good defenders and a lot of guys that are playing very well. So it's not just this offensive juggernaut that's going to win 38-35 games all the time. It looks like with this defense, they can keep the offense in the game if the offense isn't performing. So all levels in this game, I mean, you have to worry about Mahomes. You have to worry about all these good defenders. Now you have to worry about this great special teams unit. You have to worry about the the genius mind of Andy Reid and Spagnola, a high-quality defensive coordinator. There's just so much to worry about playing these Chiefs, and yet I still think that we can win this game, and I still think that we're going to win this game because we're hot. We're just as talented as they are. They're more in the in the media spotlight, but we have a lot of high-quality players as well. And if, if you do the tail of the tape, position for position, I'm sure it's going to come somewhere around the middle. All right, so defensively, they have Frank Clark on one of the defensive ends who's getting a little older, struggling a little bit. You have Chris Jones, who's the number one at his position, and he's a great pass rusher. He's great at stopping the run. He is their biggest threat on the defensive line, so someone that we have to really watch for. And it looks like he's going to be on Cordell Volson, so we're going to want to have Karras helping out over there. Then they have Nadi at the other defensive tackle. He's a little more vulnerable there. Hopefully Kappa gets some good push on him. And then you have the rookie George Karloftis on the other side. Not putting up great numbers yet, but a threat, fresh legs, intense hustling player. I think Lyle Collins can do a pretty decent job on him because of the size difference, but we'll see what happens. And Karloftis was one of those ones where the Bengals almost got him. I was really hoping that we did. I feel that if we did, he probably would have been contributing more than Dax Hill at this point in time. But I'm not going to make any judgment on that right now. Both of them still have very long careers ahead of them. And we'll see in a couple years, you know, if that played out in our favor or against it. But a a very good defensive line there. So something to worry about and uh, some good pass rushers. Even if Frank Clark isn't at the top of his game, he's still a threat. And he's still a good matchup for Jonah. He's one of those bigger, longer defensive ends that could give Jonah a hard time. The linebacking core, and when you go around the teams in the league, most of the teams don't have great linebackers. We do. Wilson and Pratt are playing lights out, and again, not household names, aren't going to make the Pro Bowl because of the way things go, but they are playing very, very well this year. But when you look at the Chiefs, Nick Bolton, amazing. Willie Gay, amazing. Two top-of-the-league linebackers, so it's going to be tough in there, running in there, passing in there. And then they have Leo Chanel as the other run-stuffing linebacker, who comes out on nickel and dime packages. But the two that they have in there, that's their that's their Pratt and Wilson is their Bolton and Gay. So look out for those guys making big plays, even interceptions, blitzing, making it tough for running backs out of the backfield. These guys do it all. So definitely not much vulnerability in the middle of the Chiefs defense. And you go to the secondary. These guys are playing so well. Trent McDuffie is having a really good year. Lejarius Sneed is the number two corner in the league. And they have him on outside and base. They move him inside on their nickel and dime packages. So it's going to be tough sledding for Tyler Boyd in this game with Sneed on him. Not that Boyd can't win that matchup, but it's going to be tough. 
Joshua Williams is playing decently. Then you go to the three-headed monster at safety. Justin Reed, Brian Cook, Deion Bush is playing phenomenally. It's just a very tough secondary that, you know, when you think about the Chiefs, you think of, oh, we'll be able to throw on them all day. They have some exceptional players back there, and they have some players that aren't known to be exceptional that are having very good years. So it's going to be tough sledding there. How do we win this game? I don't, like, even with their great secondary, I think we give Burrow a little bit of time, and he's going to dissect, and he's going to do his thing. We need to get the running game going early. I know it's it's kind of the formula when you play anybody, but in particular, with the with the back seven for these guys, you want to get that running game going quickly so you can set up stuff later on. And again, this could be the quick passing game, even with those linebackers. Let's just get the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands early, run the ball, see where we're at. And a lot of it is going to be dictated by what the Chiefs do. You know, the Chiefs get the ball first and blast down for a score. Look at what they did to us last year. Both games, they were they just scored touchdowns on their first two or three drives, like, instantly. So if that game, if the game comes around like that, then you can't rely on the running game as much. Now you have to get into that shootout mentality. The key here is try to establish the rush. If it turns into a shootout, just get Burrow time and he will find your guys, especially if Chase is playing too. This is a game that we kind of really need Jamar Chase for because if it does turn into the shootout world, he's one of the best at that. And, you know, you can flip the game at any point. You know, we're down 7 nothing at our own 12, and all of a sudden there's an 88-yard touchdown pass to Jamar Chase, tie game, all the momentum in your favor. He's the kind of player that can do that at the drop of a hat. We've seen it happen how many times? How many games has he done that where it's just like he just turned the whole momentum of the game around? I'm probably near 10 already in his young career. All right, so that's it. It's going to be a tough game. If we win it, it's going to really propel us. Now the media is going to be you know, crowning us, the, the AFC champs, if we win this one. But it's not about that. It's about beating the Chiefs, getting in the Chiefs' head yet again. The fact that it's at home for us is going to bode well. And yes, this game is going to be a shootout. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun to watch. And if it all goes the way we want, it's going to be a great Sunday for us Bengal fans. 38-34 Cincinnati Bengals. We score one more time than they do, and we take this game. AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently 7-4 and and tied with the 7-4 and Ravens for first place. The Browns are 4-7 and in third place, and the Steelers are 4-7. and I guess you can call that last place. The Bengals are the sixth seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode will be a review of the Chiefs game and a preview of the upcoming rematch with the Cleveland Browns. And we're going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.